Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Here we go, Soccer Morning on a Thursday. Jason Davis with you, worldsoccertalk.com. We are not live, but we are here. For all of you podcast people, technical difficulties. I'm pretty sure that FIFA officials, FIFA agents, the agents of Sepp Blatter, the agents of Spectre, have sub uh, sabotaged our show today. Uh, they've taken uh, Trevor Haywood's internet connection down, and we are therefore not live. But I am here. We've got to talk about this. We've got to talk about Subplatter. We've got to get this all out there. It's happening, guys. It's happening. So this show will be me doing the news, talking to perhaps some people calling in on the uh, on the phone line. I've got the the possibility of taking blind phone calls this morning. That should be fun. We'll talk about Seb Blatter. People call us up. In the meantime, let's dive in. Let's do the news. Let's hit what's happening in Zurich right now. FIFA President Sepp Blatter and UEFA President Michel Platini provisionally suspended by the FIFA Ethics Committee for 90 days. Blatter's lawyer issued a statement saying he was disappointed that the committee had not followed its own code by not allowing him to be heard. The statement suggests the decision was based on, quote, a misunderstanding of the actions of the Attorney General in Switzerland. So Sepp is already saying he did nothing wrong. Blatter banned from representing FIFA and speaking about the organization during the 90 days. CAF President Issa Hayatou becomes the acting FIFA president in Blatter's absence. The Cameroonian was reprimanded in 2011 by the IOC over FIFA kickbacks. So we've got a crook replacing a crook. Fun times at FIFA. Platini's bid to replace Blatter via February's election is now in doubt. He cannot campaign for those 90 days. Certainly not be involved. No involvement in football activities is the way that FIFA likes to say it. Now, the Ethics Committee has also banned Chung Mong Joon, the South Korean presidential candidate, for six years. He knew something was coming. This moves Prince Ali bin Al Hussein to the front of the line. The Jordanian uh, candidate for FIFA president becomes the obvious favorite, but it's unclear exactly how all of this is going to shake out. And remember, this is a provisional suspension. This is basically... You did something wrong. You're being investigated. We don't know what it is. We're going to put you on hold for a while while the investigation continues. Both Blatter and Platini plan to appeal. The FIFA appeals process goes through the uh, ethics committee, and they also have the potential of going on to the court for arbitration of sport, which would be hilarious. All right. That's all out there. FIFA turns and turns, and we'll see how this goes. Let's move to the, to the rest of the news before we start taking some phone calls this morning. The BBC is reporting that Jurgen Klopp will be officially announced as Liverpool's manager, perhaps today. They're saying today. I've also heard Friday. We'll see how that goes down. Obviously, Klopp is set to take over for Brendan Rodgers, who was fired on Sunday after a 1-1 draw against Everton in the Merseyside Derby. Klopp is returning from a sabbatical after managing Borussia Dortmund for eight seasons. He finished out on a down note, but is still highly prized as a managerial candidate around the world. MLS results last night, two games. New York beats Montreal 2-1, goals from Sasha Kleschen, Lloyd Sam. Ambrose Oyongo sent off for the impact with a handball in the box in the 15th minute. The subsequent penalty converted by Sasha Kleschen. New York Red Bulls dominated that game in the first half. They were up 2-0. They eventually gave up their own penalty, converted by Didier Drogba, made it a little tighter at the end than it probably should have been. Uh, But the impact uh, do fall, and now their playoff hopes, not necessarily hanging by a thread. They control their own destiny, but they've got to do some work here with Orlando breathing down their necks. 
Meanwhile, Orlando, sitting at home watching this, has to be uh, it has to be encouraged. Now they have to go out and take care of their own business. Vancouver qualifies for the playoffs last night with a 0-0 draw against FC Dallas. That game apparently not producing much on either end for those two teams. A hard-fought draw, as we like to say, uh, in soccer. The Red Bulls have said that U.S. soccer broke an agreement about Matt Miazga's participation in the USU-23s. Miazga was supposed to return to the Red Bulls for last night's match against Montreal to serve a suspension, not to play, because as long as he's away on international duty, his suspension does not kick in and does not get cleared, and clearly the Red Bulls want to have Miazga for the last couple of games of the year. U.S. Soccer kept Miazga in camp, meaning the defender must now sit out the next two Red Bulls matches when he returns from his U23 service, which ends on Saturday. That's because Mexico drawing with Honduras 0-0 means the Mexicans have won Group B in CONCACAF Olympic qualifying, setting up semifinals. The USA, winners of Group A against Honduras, runners-up of Group B. Mexico, winners of Group A against Canada, runners-up in Group B. The finalists, the two winners of the semifinals, automatically qualify for the Olympic tournament next year in Rio de Janeiro and Brazil. The losers go into a third-place game with the winner of that match, facing Colombia in a playoff to qualify for the Olympics. European qualifiers, 2016 European Championships in France next year. Qualifiers today, a couple of highlights here. Ireland versus Germany, Scotland versus Poland, Portugal versus Denmark, Albania, Serbia with a lot of political undercurrents there. All these games kicking off at 2.45 p.m. Eastern. Now I just realized you're probably listening to this after those games started. My apologies. It was already in the rundown before I found out we weren't going to be live today. So there you go. All right. Take a mini break. We'll come right back. I got at least one person on the phone who wants to talk about Sepp Blatter and FIFA. I imagine. What else is there today? Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. When it comes to the USA against Mexico, this game is different. As Michael Bradley puts it, the passion, the colors, the respect, the hate. Soccer Morning listeners, I'd like to invite you to join me and Jared Dubois this Saturday for the USA versus Mexico broadcast on Rabble.tv at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the USA versus Mexico game on TV, press the mute button, and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me and Jared on your desktop, through your iOS Android app, or through your mobile browser. Plus, before or during the game, you can join in by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. Or why don't you create your own broadcast, call one of your team's games. It's easy. Sign up for free today. Try it out. Join me and Jared this Saturday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern for the USA versus Mexico on Rabble.tv, where it's your team and your call. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, we're back on this odd show on a Thursday morning. If you're wondering, well, it doesn't matter. If you're listening via podcast, it doesn't matter to you whether we did it live or not. The podcast exists. Uh, we do. I do have the ability to take calls, even though we're not live on the air. And my man Roberto has called in to help me out. Hey, Roberto, what's going on? 
Hey, Jason. Uh, good morning, and it's good to see you back. <laughs> Don't Appreciate take it. any more vacations anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not allowed, apparently. That's okay. That's okay. I, oh, I, look, wow. I love my job, Roberto. What, what's on your... Uh, is today about Seb Blatter and FIFA, or you got other stuff? I mean, you know, when it's one of those things, Roberto, where all of this stuff happening in Zurich today is big news, obviously. And we have to talk about it, and we have to address Seb Blatter and, and Platini and, and everything else. But at the same time, it's not soccer. You know what I mean? Exactly. Let's. I imagine if it's. A, I'd imagine if today is like some sort of like we're in utopia or something. You know, you have the situation happening: FIFA, USA, Mexico in two days. Uh, South American World Cup qualifying starting. If you didn't know. Uh yeah, that's. Uh, I forgot about that. So what? What do we got on tap for for Combo Bowl? I mean, it, it's pretty uh, pretty obvious. You know, you got four games. Um, a few stars missing: no Messi, no Neymar, no Harris, no. No, um, Suarez, no, none of them. And it's, um, I don't know if you've seen any of the matches that are on today. I got the schedule here. We got Bolivia, Bolivia, Uruguay, Colombia, Peru, Venezuela, Paraguay, Chile, uh, Chile, Brazil, Argentina, Ecuador. So those are your matchups today. Yeah, I was just wondering which one you think stands up the most. Well, I mean, as you said, as you said, no Messi. Uh, wow. Um, Wow, la, 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 la. Uh, the, the, things change in, in Combo pretty quickly. I mean, that Chile-Brazil match has got to be interesting, even with no Neymar. Uh, Chileans, obviously, uh, winners of Copa America. Brazil, uh, you know, the powerhouse of, of South America. A team that, uh, you know, is, is supposed to walk to qualifying every time out. So, uh, and coming off of a World Cup and coming off the letdown of getting destroyed by the Germans last year as they build towards 2018. So maybe that one's got some interest. Absolutely. Um, just a little stat here. I think um, I was reading something. I think they're going. Um, I think it would spend sixteen years or seventeen. Yeah, seventeen years since uh, Chile last beat Brazil in all competitions as well. Okay. So wow. Yeah. So now they definitely need some revenge. That's for sure. Yeah. There you go. That's uh, that's something to watch for. The game is at seven thirty p.m. Eastern. I imagine some of these games are available in some sort of television or streaming format somewhere. I don't know who's got uh, the Comma Bowl rights. Uh, BN Sports. Uh, BN Sports has? Okay. So BN Sports will probably, uh, and I know they have a streaming platform, so I imagine if you if there's one game on, they, they'll, they'll be showing the other ones in other places. But yep. uh, So there you go. Yeah, lo- I mean, lots of soccer today. I mentioned off the top the, the European qualifiers as well. So we've got Europe going, we've got South America going, we've got FIFA imploding, we've got, uh, as you said, the build-up to USA-Mexico in a couple of days. And a lot of the, you know, a lot of the, the talk around um, USA-Mexico, well, it's about the, 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 the game and, and some of, the, um, some of the, the build-up. I saw a quote yesterday, uh, my, uh, a friend of you, Enrique, who calls in occasionally, tweeted out uh, a, a Mexican story that has a quote from Alejandro Bedoya in which he said they haven't even touched, they haven't touched topic, uh, tactics yet. The USA facing Mexico in, in yeah, this is on, on Wednesday night, so three days away, and they haven't touched tactics. And I'm not surprised by it at all. I, I'm just really not. No, I wouldn't be either. But let me ask you this, Jason. Do you think this match is much more worthy just because, one, is it either because we're facing Mexico or our biggest rivals, or the fact that it's the Confederations Cup um, birth on the line. I actually think the rivalry outweighs the Confed Cup birth. I, I, I mean, I think it matters to both teams, but, you know, it, it's, and it's easy to throw the Confederations Cup out as a tournament. Who cares? It's nothing. You know, uh, it's, only, it's only a handful of teams and, the, and the, big, the big champions, I mean, Chile and 
whoever comes out of Europe next year, they they don't you know they don't really care that much. It's not that big of a deal. But for the for for Concacaf, it's always about striving. It's always about trying to punch above your weight. And for the United States and Mexico, this is another opportunity to do that. Um, so I think there's something there. I think the trophy, just the the bragging rights, adds to it. Just the the continental bragging rights, but also, but I, but overall, I think the the rivalry is what's going to carry this game through. And the fact the fact that there is something on the line. If it's not it's not just rivalry because if you had a friendly with just rivalry, that's something. But it's not as much as this. Do you think this is the most hyped up? match in u.s mexico history since the world cup yeah i don't i don't know i saw you know i was re- i was reading um grant wall's mailbag yesterday and he, he mentioned something like that i mean he said and i actually made the argument that this does it should be the biggest usa mexico game since that world cup uh round of 16 game in 2002 it should be that because yeah. again world cup qualifying not you know almost every cycle i know mexico needed some help and 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 the united states provided it last time around but almost every other cycle mexico and the united states are are expected to qualify right it's a given that they're going to qualify for the world cup so even if the united states beats mexico in columbus and mexico wins at azteca or there's a draw what even those games don't have the same kind of do or die feeling about them this is a knockout game i mean it is it's a knockout game now it's a weird thing because it's a contrived match that doesn't really come after a tournament so it's it it doesn't have it doesn't have that backdrop to it but it does it does have something on the line it is 93,000 people or whatever it it it, it comes amidst as always, the political backdrop of USA-Mexico relations. Um, you know, obviously the Mexicans using Donald Trump, and I would too. I mean, if if, if the roles were switched, I would totally, uh, totally agree yeah. with an American uh, broadcaster doing it. Uh, Fox is showing every Mexico-USA game from the last, you know, 20 years building up to this match. I think it should be, and yet I still don't feel it, Roberto. I don't know if I feel it. I, I, I think... Um... Believe me, I've seen a lot of USA Mexico matches. I, there's no other important match. Just to just to um, clarify in this region, it's like I don't want to use uh, such a broad example. It's like saying maybe Argentina Brazil fight for the Confederations Cup as well, or right. it's in a World Cup, right. something like that. But like we said, nothing comp- when you compare USA Mexico and Argentina Brazil, Argentina Brazil is much more feisty when you think about it. Well, yeah, but uh, hmm. I, I don't know. I, look, I'm I'm not Argentine. I'm not Brazilian. I can't speak directly to that. I know there's a lot of heat there. I, I do think yep. that the the thing that 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 game lacks is the political element of it. And and maybe that's not a good thing for USA Mexico to have that. I mean, certainly the immigration debate is a thing that drives a wedge between people. It's not easily clarified. I mean, I know where I sit, but I'm not going to throw my politics on other people on this show in this venue. Um, mm. So so maybe it's not a great thing, but it does create that and look i mean that what i was going to say is so much of the build-up to this has been about that element has been about the the family with multiple generations the father is mexican or, or first generation and he's a mexico fan and the, and the kid is a usa fan they go to the game together and you know um the the conflict the the uh the, the there's a rich vein of of stories there for families that have uh, I'm not going to say assimilated, but are American families now with Mexican roots. And I find all that stuff fascinating. I do think it, in one way, it takes some of the sting out of the game, meaning it's not quite as he. I know, I know, look, there are, there are rabid fans on both sides who hate the other team no matter what, hate the other team's fans no matter what. Everybody should be chill and not 
misbehave. And I, but I know the passion's there, but it's still at the same time, it feels like because of the direction that we're going, because of the, the, the huge Mexican-American community we have in this country, it actually makes it more of this, this brother against brother thing rather than arch nemesis. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. You have some people who are Mexican American and do indeed love both teams the um right. as much, but they're stuck in the middle. Just one last thing. Um, I won't be able to call tomorrow, but uh, I do just have one last thing. Um, your prediction of this match and what would happen in U.S. soccer wise if we lose this match? What do you think is going to happen? All right, I'm going to go to I'm going to go to one United States. Just I have to have the faith. I know. Uh, look, Mexico's got a, a more solidly determined defensive setup, and, and I think um, Tuco Ferretti's going to play some, you know, he's going to play defensively solid and, and attempt to, to rely on a couple of players. I mean, and certainly Tecatito to, to spur their attack. They've, they've got talent. I mean, Chicharito Hernandez and Peralta, and, uh, and if Guardado plays, and I, I, I'm not sure about his fitness, but if he plays, he's obviously a big asset. Yeah, he will still start. Still start. I, I'm going, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go 2-1 USA just because I have to have faith in my team. If the United States loses this match, we will go through a month of hand-wringing. We will have many scathing articles about the direction of this team under Jurgen Klinsmann, which we've had for some time now. We will have questions over the direction of the program. Uh, we will have... Uh, I mean, we will have questions about the, the, the players he's called in and whether it's time to see new players or if he's picked the right player. But we won't see any other fundamental changes. I, I, don't, I, don't see that, I don't see us waking up on Sunday morning and finding out that, that uh, Jurgen Klinsmann was dismissed in the tunnel by Snugalati or even a week later. I, I ju- now, there is a possibility that you'll hear about some shuffling of the deck chairs, that you'll hear, oh, U.S. soccer is addressing some of the issues uh, uh, with the national team by uh, bringing in a new consultant, bringing in a new assistant coach. I mean, uh, I, I just don't think that we're going to see any fundamental differences, though. Is he gone after this match if he loses? No, he's not. No, he's not going anywhere. Okay. He's not going anywhere okay. until, until after Russia 2018. I, I, I firmly believe yeah, that. Yeah, that's what I think, too. Yeah. That's what I think, too. Yep. All right. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it, Roberto. Good, good call, man. I'm glad you were the one that uh, that jumped on in on a a dark show of behind this, well, uh, whatever recorded program, soccer morning, a report, recorded program on a Thursday. All right, we've done about 20 minutes. I, I would love to get some more phone calls. Uh, I can't really be positive that's going to happen. Let's let's go back through and just review some of the things that have come th- come out of the, uh, the 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 turmoil with FIFA. The word that Sepp Blatter, Michelle Platini, Chung Jung uh, 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 Jun Ming, Jun, uh, let me get his name right. That's really bad. Chung Mong Jun being suspended. Now, Blatter and Platini provisionally suspended, meaning we don't know if they're going to get a big ban or anything because there's an investigation going on. Blatter, of course, is claiming that this is all a misunderstanding, uh, that he didn't get his, uh, his time in court. Uh, or in front of the FIFA Ethics Committee, uh, that he is that he did nothing wrong and that he will be vindicated, et cetera, and so forth. Now, this does put a big damper on the rest of Sepp Blatter's tenure. If he was going to step down, as, uh, as he says, come that election, that special election in February, then uh, now, now suddenly 90 days of his presidency, poof, go up in the air. Uh, we, we don't know, and I said this on Twitter, it, it feels oddly unsatisfying. Now, maybe that's because it's provisional. Maybe that's because it's only 90 days. Maybe that's because the man replacing Sepp Blatter, uh, Isa Hayatu, 
is almost uh, has also been notably corrupt in his past. This is not a FIFA that's going to fill power vacuums with new blood. This isn't a FIFA that's going to bring in squeaky clean individuals with stellar reputations to clean up world soccer's governing body. This is a FIFA who's got people waiting in line who have been sanctioned before, who have been reprimanded before, who have been charged with things before, still in their posts, ready to step in. That's the FIFA we're dealing with. It only reinforces the notion for me that rather than just wait for FIFA to get cleaned up by whether the the, the Justice Department investigation, the, the Ethics Committee, if you really believe in them, and I don't think anybody does, the Swiss authorities, we, we almost, there has to be a complete and utter overhaul, meaning we almost have to start from scratch. And when I say start from scratch, I mean every single person on the FIFA Executive Committee, and I don't care if you've been implicated, haven't been implicated, if you were, if you're, Sunil Gulati, uh, if, if whoever it is, flush them all out. You're you're gone. Okay, you're done. We we have to start over. And now we're going to recruit individuals. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's people in law enforcement. Maybe it's people in the legal profession. Maybe it's. Um, I certainly don't want politicians stepping into this fray. Uh, depending on where they come from and their provenance, I I, I just. I don't know what the solution is. And again, this this seems oddly unsatisfying to see Seth Blatter just get slapped on the wrist so far. And, and maybe there's more coming. Maybe we're ultimately going to have to see Loretta Lynch or the Swiss authorities be the ones who take Seth Blatter down. That's ultimately what's going to have to happen. Now, FIFA could ban him. I, I, I don't know that we should have faith that that's coming. But it feels though, in order to get the, the, the resolution we all want, it's going to need to be a criminal investigation, not, a, not an internal FIFA investigation. I've got the statement up from Sepp Blatter's uh, attorneys. Again, Sepp Blatter's lawyers say the FIFA Ethics Committee failed to follow the proper procedure when it decided to ban him for 90 days. Richard Cullen says Blatter was, quote, disappointed that the Ethics Committee did not follow the Code of Ethics and Disciplinary Code. Both of which, for, both of which, provide for an opportunity to be heard. Cullen also said the ethics committee based its decision on a misunderstanding, adding that the Swiss Attorney General has not charged Sepp Blatter with a crime. Okay, sure, but you're and and I guess give the FIFA Ethics Committee credit for this move, based on the, the perception, right? I don't believe in the FIFA Ethics Committee as far as I can throw them, but. In this case, with the turmoil, with the, the drama, with all of the negativity surrounding FIFA, they had to act. They couldn't allow for Sepp Blatter, who had recently been inter- interrogated or questioned by Swiss authorities, who had um, been embroiled in this, whose name had been brought up as part of that scheme to, play, to pay Michelle Platini money that does not look to be on the up and up, paying him in 2011 for a contract for work done at the end of the 20th century does not smack of clean dealing. So, of course, in order to perhaps save FIFA face, the Ethics Committee had to act. They had to act in regards to to Blatter. They had to act in regards to Platini. They did so. Now, again, 90 days. Who knows? These guys could come right back. And maybe it's not business as usual because we'll all be questioning it, but they've been isolated, insulated in their ivory tower before. 
We have this is all again reminder. This is not new. 2015 did not suddenly expose FIFA corruption for the world to see. We've been aware of malfeasance on the part of these individuals for a decade or more. I what I would not give to talk to to Andrew Jennings right now. The last time we saw movement within the 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 FIFA um the FIFA corruption scandal. When Loretta Lynch made her big announcement, we brought Andrew Jennings on this show. We had a discussion. I love talking to the guy. His enthusiasm for taking down crooks is probably unparalleled in the world of soccer. And I imagine he's got a lot to say about Blatter. And I imagine he has some insight into what might happen next and where FIFA needs to go. He was disappointed with the way U.S. soccer responded when questioned in front of the Senate committee about their relationship with Chuck Blazer and whether or not they knew things were happening. I'm not, I don't know if he'd be disappointed in this, but he, was, he would certainly have been able to give us some idea of whether or not FIFA is actually moving towards reformation or if this is merely a false dawn. Because, again, it's not just Blatter. He is the figurehead. He's the, he's the guy at the top. He's, he's, the, he's the representation of everything that we loathe about the way FIFA operates, and yet you know that if he gets taken down, someone will rise up in his place who is perhaps even more corrupt than he is. Certainly, I imagine, sloppier than than Sub Blatter is. Because for everything you could say about Sub Blatter, the head of a a corrupt organization, a a doddering fool, although I think that's a a lot of that's an act, a man who chooses to stand idly by at the very least and allow these things to happen under his watch... Very little has stuck to him until this. It took 16 years for somebody to to bring up something that ultimately ended up with Sepp Blatter facing punishment for being the man who led the charge to corrupt the world's game. And I've said on the show, I, th- I, d- I don't know uh, if, if the contract to, play, to pay Platini was, order, was something done, if that payment was made to keep Platini out of the presidential race, which, of course, he refuses to... Uh, to admit to, and he refuses to address this payment publicly, then, yeah, Sepp Blatter did something outside of the uh, the bounds of, of the law, outside of the bounds of FIFA ethics, out of the bounds of ethics, period. But most of his tenure has been about consolidating that power base. He's done a magnificent job with that. Sepp Blatter should be, his career should be taught in schools in colleges, in universities, as an example of an incredibly adept politician building his way to power through, if not legal means, then certainly means that looked legal enough. He managed for years to stay in his position, to hold the reins of world soccer through nothing more than opportunistic graft. Graph that was not, here's uh, here's $100,000, vote for me. But hey, let's, hey, you, you run this, uh, this federation in this small country that lacks for funds to support soccer. What if, what if FIFA gave you some cash? You know, wink, wink, nod, nod. There are still people to this, to this day, in this moment, who are still incredibly loyal to Sepp Blatter and will never turn on him, no matter what he is accused or proven to have done. 
They will continue to back him because he is their patron saint, because he has engendered loyalty through his actions. It's amazing to me. I mean, and not not amazing in the in the fact that in the sense that I can't imagine it happening, but but amazing how adept he is at it. It's it's been done before throughout history. This is many many people rise to power through this same sort of program. And here's Seth Blatter, and again doing it outside of the bounds of of government, doing it within soccer, where 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 clearly the the stakes are much lower than government, and yet the passion is probably higher. It's fascinating. And he did it all from being the marketing guy for FIFA, building his career up after brokering a deal to bring money. He's the one who turned FIFA into the incredible money-making enterprise it is today. I don't think that's wrong to say. It's true. Lots of updates are going to be coming out throughout the day. Uh, some of this may be a little old by the time you get to it in, in terms of the news. I apologize for that. So throw some commentary on top here. I'm looking at right now uh, Rob Harris filing for the AP to get the, an item with all of the updates. Um, Hayatou says he won't stand in the FIFA election. So although he's going to be serving as FIFA president in Seb Blatter's stead, he, the Cameroonian uh, FA president, uh, or sorry, the Confederation of African Football president says he will not stand um, as a possible permanent successor to Seb Blatter. In a statement released by FIFA, Hayatou says he will only take over the top job on an interim basis and not stand in the emergency presidential election on, Feb- uh, on February 26th. Hayatou also said that FIFA will, quote, continue to cooperate fully with authorities and follow the internal investigation wherever it leads. There you go. That's the latest. FIFA Vice President David Gill and fellow executive committee member Wolfgang Niersbach have called for a, an emergency meeting of FIFA's ruling body to be held. According to the statement from the English Football Association, of which Gill is vice chairman, the FA says that there will be a meeting of the 54 UEFA nations as soon as next week. The FA was one of the first federations to endorse Michelle Platini's candidacy for FIFA president, and the English are not withdrawing that backing yet. So despite the fact that Michelle Platini has been provisionally suspended, despite the fact we have pretty significant evidence that he uh, caved the Qatari pressure of the 2022 World Cup bid, uh, monetary pressure put on him, uh, perhaps by French President Nicolas Sarkozy. The, the English are backing Platini. He's their man, the head of, of UEFA. He's the guy. Of course, he's not the guy. He's just Sepp Blatter light, possibly to turn into Sepp Blatter should he get the job. But this does leave a question of where we turn for the next FIFA president. Again, I, I read yesterday, uh, before all of this really broke, but with the knowledge that very likely Sepp Blatter was going to be facing something and, and Michelle Platini could be taken down or at least his candidacy uh, could be noxious to some people. Uh, Grant Wall in the, in, in, at SI.com suggested that Prince Ali is the man he would he would back. A couple of reasons there. Prince Ali bin Al Hussein is a rich enough guy that you can't imagine him being um, being somebody who could who would cave to monetary pressure, wouldn't take money uh, in his position. He's a guy who has supported the advancement of the women's game, particularly in the Middle East. That's a pleat in his cape. He's a guy who has uh, a reputation for wanting to be clean and, and, and forthright and um, reform FIFA on a platform that actually would create some change. And I suppose 
He's not necessarily part of the FIFA machine. He's not a long-time member of the FIFA fraternity that has allowed for this kind of corruption to build up. I still, I mean, I, I would still prefer somebody else, I think, but if it has to be Prince Ali, then it has to be Prince Ali. Somebody's got to get enough votes. Be curious to know where U.S. soccer falls on all this. Because here we go again. Where is U.S. soccer? I mentioned Andrew Jennings being disappointed with U.S. soccer's response to the, uh, the Senate subcommittee's questions over their knowledge of Chuck Blazer's activities, and we have not yet heard anything of substance from U.S. soccer on any of this. We don't know if U.S. soccer was complicit in the activities that Chuck Blazer and Jack Warner were engaging in here right in CONCACAF in that Confederation's back or in that Federation's backyard in New York, in Miami, in places where they have obviously have uh, connections, where they have relationships. So Neil Galati and Chuck Blazer go way back. And if Sir Galati's uh, approach, his strategy was to play the game to get some sort of benefit from US, for U.S. soccer, then there is ultimately a question of ethics involved there as well. What did Sir Galati know and when did he know it? What did anybody at U.S. soccer know and when did they know it? We have no idea. Right now this is about what, what's happening in Zurich, but there is certainly an element that applies to U.S. soccer and the United States in the game here and whether or not corruption was, if not engaged in, and nothing about the, the DOG, uh, DOJ investigation ha- gives us any reason to believe that U.S. soccer was engaged in corrupt behavior. All of that, we, we at least have this possibility they stood by. They allowed it to ha- they allowed it to happen without blowing the whistle. They allowed they they sat there, chose to be, if not part of the machine, I don't know, an adjunct to the machine. Not a cog, not part of the FIFA. Not FIFA part of the the, the, the FIFA environment culture that created all of this graph, but the people who uh, the, the 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 people who watched it happen. I just don't. I just cannot imagine being that intricately connected to everything and not having some knowledge. We don't have we don't have anything of of satisfaction from U.S. Soccer. That's perhaps where we'll leave that for the time being. We've got, uh, I'm going to keep going for a little while longer here. Hopefully we had a couple of phone calls in. 646, well, you guys can't, you're not calling. You're listening on podcast. I was about to give the phone number, and then I realized how silly that was. I realized how ridiculous it was for me to give, yeah. All right. It continues to develop. As long as there are updates happening on Twitter, I'll try to toss them into the show. Um, Just a couple of things from the report. Uh, by uh, Sky Sports here at foxsoccer.com. The FIFA Ethics Committee also announced another FIFA presidential candidate, Chung Mong Jun from Korea, has been banned for six years and fined 100,000 francs for breaking the rules of the 2002 World Cup big campaign. Again, we, we kind of teased this. He knew that was, particular, it was, that was costly coming. Thought as much, it could be as much as a 19-year ban. Uh, 
In the end, it turns out to be a six-year ban. This certainly precludes him from running for FIFA president come February, knocking off one of Prince Ali's rivals for the job. Don't know what this means for for Platini quite yet. And I'm still not convinced that Seb Blatter is not going to try to finagle his way into more time to fit to, to serve out his term, which he was just elected to earlier this year. This thing has unraveled very, very quickly. Continues to be a developing story. A couple of people you should absolutely follow on Twitter to keep up with all of this. Sam Borden from the New York Times, based in Europe, doing an excellent job of covering uh, the, the scandal. Rob Harris from the Associated Press, also based in Europe, guy doing a great job of following the scandal. Looking here, trying to find a couple of other names. Obviously, Grant Wall. A guy to follow on this scandal. And this, all of this is taking, uh, taking away from building towards USA-Mexico on Saturday. That's happening. Got a prediction out of me thanks to Roberto. 2-1 to the United States. Just got to have faith. What else is coming for that game? This is what we'll do. Let's take a quick break. Just a reset. See if we uh, get any more phone calls on the line. And I'll come back and we'll address some of that. We'll lead into uh, Friday and Saturday, whatever. We will come back and we'll wrap this thing up. Nice little bow. Soccer morning, worldsoccertalk.com. When it comes to the USA against Mexico, this game is different. As Michael Bradley puts it, the passion, the colors, the respect, the hate. Soccer Morning listeners, I'd like to invite you to join me and Jared Dubois this Saturday for the USA versus Mexico broadcast on Rabble.tv at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the USA versus Mexico game on TV, Press the mute button and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me and Jared on your desktop, through your iOS Android app, or through your mobile browser. Plus, before or during the game, you can join in by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. Or why don't you create your own broadcast, call one of your team's games. It's easy. Sign up for free today. Try it out. Join me and Jared this Saturday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern for the USA versus Mexico on Rabble.tv, where it's your team and your call. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, so here's what happened. We lost, uh, we lost producer Trevor's internet. So let's catch you guys up because I, I, I dove into the news. We had some technical issues. Producer Trevor's internet's down today. So there was no live show. This is the podcast version of Soccer Morning on a Thursday. I got the Mexico-Honduras score very wrong this morning when I did the news. So let me correct that. Mexico beat Honduras 2-1 to win Group B. I don't know. I don't know where I got this. I don't know where I got the score score from. I read the wrong score somehow and put it in my news. Mexico beat Honduras 2-1. Kubo Torres scoring a goal. So that's good. I guess. I mean, it's good for Kubo Torres. Good for the Houston Dynamo to see their player go and score a goal. The Dynamo, the Dynamo's playoff hopes are dead in the water. 
they can get much out of Kubo this year. Maybe that leads into a better season in 2016. And in terms of the MLS playoff picture, you did have those developments last night. The Red Bulls beating Montreal. This is getting dicey for Montreal now. I mean, I was one of those people who thought, oh, this is Montreal, Montreal has so many games in hand and they, they got a little bit of a lead. They'll be okay. They're, they're going to not cruise to the sixth spot in the East. But they are they have the inside track. And and with Drogba, suddenly they got hot and it was all it was all very it was all very positive for the impact. Well now they're they're down to the last three games. If Orlando City wins out, then they will hit forty seven points. Now Orlando City has to win out. This is the other thing here. Montreal right now has a one point lead with a game in hand. So they obviously have a higher total point uh, total points available, but their schedule makes it difficult. Montreal's schedule does not do them any favors. Let's go to the phones. Someone's going to help me out here. Four one zero. You're on the air. Hey, I'm Chandler from Baltimore. I wanted to talk about FIFA, right? Yeah, go ahead. I don't know what's I don't know what's happening. They're ruining the game for me. I love this. But like, there's like scandals coming out every time, every like every day. Your new things. I heard Platini got suspended today. Yep. So I don't know what's happening. Like, why can't they just leave the sport alone and just let us enjoy football? Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like the scandals is ruining the game. No, I'm I'm totally with you, and I've talked about that before. We have this issue as as soccer fans, where we have to separate what FIFA does, all of the scandals, all of the the the, the match fixing, um, the all of these bad things that are happening. We have to separate themselves out when we watch our sport because otherwise, you're, the joy is out of it. Right? There's no fun anymore when you if, if you allow yourself to think about FIFA and match fixing and all of these bad things happening and you turn on a game how can you possibly watch that game believe what's happening on the field is actually fair competition and enjoy it you can't you have to block these Yay. things you have to pretend like it's not happening we have to delude ourselves it's it's crazy well that's what I, I don't I understand why FIFA is there they, uh, we need some uh, body to uh, like regulate our game but like Every time it's like the whole the reputation of this sport, this, this beautiful game we call it, it's ruined because of people like my friends. They are they're not uh they're not used soccer fans now. I talk to them. They hear about they hear something about FIFA and fraction and they are like they instantly turn outside that. Yeah, and they don't want to enjoy the sport. But FIFA has nothing to do with the sport we play. Like. The thing that happens on the field is the it's the talent and like how to like the talent and commitment of the players and the coach and the fans. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I'm totally. I again, the people in charge of running the game have soured it for a lot of people. And at the same time, I mean, obviously, we're fans. We're invested. We're not going anywhere, but we we have to be angry. We have to we have to sit here and steam 
over how they're ruining the game. And then, as you said, there, there are probably people in this country and elsewhere who are thinking to themselves, wow, soccer's interesting. I might get, oh, wait, the, what, the FIFA scandals and people being arrested, and now the president of the organization is being suspended because he probably did something. Dirt. Why would I want to get involved in a sport like that? Why would I want to watch right. a sport run by crooks? And uh, you can make the argument that, hey, Maybe Roger Goodell on some level is a crook, and maybe there are other people running sports. The IOC, Olympics, the, a, lot of, a lot of those people are crooks. But for whatever reason, we're, you know, th- those people are already fans of those sports. Just like we're already fans of soccer, we're not going to go anywhere. They're not leaving the NFL, but they might not get into soccer because of this. I went to the D.C. United with uh, one of my uh, friends. He's, he's not a huge soccer fan, and he, the atmosphere and everything, he's like, he watches uh, Arsenal match. I'm an Arsenal fan, so I, he watches Arsenal match with it. But now we, he started following some guys from UK and Twitter, and now he asked me a question about what is happening in FIFA and why are like, uh, people taking uh, money from soccer. I thought it was the uh, world sport. Like, it was free. Yeah. You just need well, a ball. Well, look, let, let's, rem- let's, let's remember. I think this is important in all sports, but it, it, it may be especially true in soccer, which is you know, the most popular game in the world. It is played in more countries by more people than any other sport. The essence of soccer is not the Champions League final. It's not what happens in a FIFA boardroom. It's not It's not the money-changing hands. It's not the Glazers and what they're doing at United. It, it's not the ticket prices at the Emirates. It, it's not It's not any of that. It's not a, it's not a player make, uh, being transferred for $100 million. The essence of the game is, you know, is a bunch of kids running around playing soccer, having fun, learning. The essence of the game is those kids in the favelas who are learning all of those tricks that we love the Brazilians for doing. It's, it's you know, German kids out there uh, going through the paces, learning the game to be that efficient German machine that we've seen. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, the, the sport, yeah. the, the essence of the I'll sport. I'll tell you a story. Look, Go ahead. I, I moved here uh, when I was very little. I was, uh, I moved to the United States from a uh, country from Nepal, like, country that people have never even heard of, like, most of people. But when I came here, all I knew was soccer. I didn't know the language. I didn't know anything. The soccer brought me friends. Soccer brought me, like, everything. This sport that that I love, it brought me all the things in life that it would be really, really hard to if I hadn't played that sport. Mm-hmm. And this, that, that, that purity of the sport, the FIFA is ruining it. Just, uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, I'm with you. Yep. is like yep. not just sports to like a lot of people. Just keep it the faith. so much more. I, I, I'm, I'm going to say is keep the faith. Remember that the game is what you, you know, the, the, the game, you fell in love with the game. You didn't fall in love with the, the FIFA version. I mean, the World Cup's great. We all love it. But if the World Cup went away tomorrow, that wouldn't, that wouldn't mean that there's not joy to be had in the game. You know, if FIFA had to be destroyed, and if there was, you know, if we didn't have any of this, you could still go out, get a pickup game, and have a great time. You could still find, I mean, people would still start clubs with local guys and go out and and build a community of of soccer fans. And and hopefully that's that's always going to be true. I I, got to move on. I, I very much appreciate the call. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. There you go. Uh, you know, again, uh, that 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 the mental gymnastics that we have to do as soccer fans. Some of the saddest part of all of this. I mean, you know, Ch- uh, Jack Warner taking money out of hurricane relief is probably the worst thing I've heard in FIFA corruption world. But 
to, for us as fans to have to 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 deal with not knowing if our game is clean every time we watch our our team play and knowing that there are pe- there are people who are profiting off the backs of indiv- of kids and all of the, uh, that's the worst part. Five oh eight. Who's this? This is Russ Goldman, who is the phone supporter and has uh, the show Cottage Talk. Ah, there you go. Got the plug in immediately, Russ. <laughs> that is, I have to, Jason. I have pro. to throw in a plug for my show. Okay. I have to. Yeah, I haven't heard from you in a while on this program, Russ, but Russ is a yeah, big, uh, big Fulham fan and does an excellent podcast about Fulham topics called Cottage Talk. All right, so you want to talk a little chance? Oh, this is a good palate cleanser for me, Russ. I mean, I've got a couple yeah. minutes to go here. You want to talk about the championship. So what's going totally, on in the championship? I totally do, Jason. I, you know, it, it's funny because, uh, listen, Fulham have now been relegated. This is their second season. And uh, I, have a, you know, I have a real appreciation for the championship. I actually really enjoy the division. It is so even. I would say it, it is the closest thing to what you would see in the NFL. It, okay. it really is. Yeah, anyone yeah. can beat anyone on any given Saturday. That's the way I look at it. I actually enjoy the league. Do I want Fulham to get promoted? Of course I do. But I have to tell you, if you're looking at, at anyone from the top of the division to the bottom, anyone can beat anyone. And Brighton is at the top. And I have to tell you, they're not the best team in the division, but the table doesn't lie. They are at the top. But, but again, Fulham are 10 points behind them. And I, and I actually think Fulham are, are a better side than Brighton. We'll see how that happens at the end of the year. Okay. But, uh, you know, again, I love this division. And I want to I just want to tell everyone that they should be checking out the uh, Skybet Championship. Okay, well, okay. Where can they even do that, Russ? That's the problem, Jason. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's the issue because, again, you, you can watch it on BN Sports, but the problem with BN Sports is they have La Liga. They have Serie A. So, so many of the matches that would be shown get preempted, and uh, that's the issue that I have right now is that, you know, again, Fulham actually been on BN Sports a few times now, but... But again, uh, listen, I get up early in the morning on a Saturday and Sunday morning, and I'll watch the Sky Bet Championship before I even watch the Premier League. Okay. You know, I'm looking at the table right now, uh, Russ. You obviously said Brighton at the top. I, you know what I don't what – what, what turns me off a little bit about the championship is is when, when we get the yo-yo clubs. And not that it's the same suspects every year, but, you know, right. Middlesbrough, uh, not so much Reading, Birmingham City, Hull City – I guess Darby you could throw into that mix. Certainly Wolves. Uh, QPR has been in the Premier uh, Premier League fairly recently. Uh, Fulham, obviously. I, I mean, I root for Fulham. I mean, I think it's hard for any American uh, soccer fan not to have some soft spot for Fulham <laughs> and root for Fulham. Um, Blackburn's down in in fifteenth. You know, all right. It, it, maybe it's not even that because all of these teams have most of these teams. I'd say what eighteen, nineteen of them have fairly recent Premier League history, right? I, right. I, I guess what I'm talking about is. I want to see something really surprising. I don't know. We're not going to get that because even in the championship, money still rules. Even if the league is, even if the division is fairly even, Russ, somebody's outspending somebody else, and that's going to give them a boost. But I don't know. Maybe I want to see Leeds finally, finally pull it off. Maybe that's what I want. No, to No, listen. I hear you, and I'll give you a club that that really surprised me last year, and that's now in, in the Barclays Premier League. And you want a Bournemouth. Basically, you sure, want to yeah, yeah, like okay. a Bournemouth that's perfect. Yeah, that you're comes right. out of nowhere right. yeah. and then and then goes all the way up. And uh, there are success stories. You know, again, Fulham's rival Brentford. They're not having a great season so far, 
but they almost made made the top six last year. So you do get some of it, but but uh, you know, again, listen, Leeds United is a good story. You also have Charlton Athletic. There's some, you know, there's some sleeper teams. You know, yeah. again, yeah. even a team that that not many fans know of, like a Rotherham United, just gave Burnley a very tough match and 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 pushed Fulham as well. So again, I I like the even feel of this league, you know, even okay. teams like okay. Preston North End, Bristol City at the bottom of the table, they're going to give Fulham a match, and you won't get that as much in, in say, leagues like Wycliffe League, uh, you know, I'm talking about the bottom teams, you know, teams, teams at the bottom of the Bundesliga, every team really has a chance to win, yes, money still, still makes a difference, but... But to get to you know, but but from match on, I'm telling you, Jason, it's very even. Okay, fair enough. And, and you know, I'm just looking through some of the, these teams all have great histories. I mean, that's all that's one of the allures of of English football in general. But I mean, right. Derby, Wolves, Sheffield Wednesday, QPR, Ipswich Town, Nottingham Forest. Who I, I love their badge. Uh, Blackburn, <laughs> obviously, Blackburn, the last sort of. Um, I mean, well, I mean, Manchester City broke through, but. For a long time, Blackburn was the only team outside of the Big Four to win a Premier League title, Big Three to win a Premier League title back in, what, what was that, 95 when Blackburn right. won the title, and now they're in the second division. Uh, Leeds United, we all know, or you should know, if you're fairly new to the game, the Leeds United story is a fascinating one, cautionary tale for uh, for English clubs who leverage uh, their future with debt and, and all of that stuff and end up finding themselves... Uh, very seriously damaged by it. Uh, changing, I don't even know. It was one of those things like uh, Le- the ownership of Leeds is always this shady cabal. Nobody really understands who they are. <laughs> I don't know if that's true anymore. But last time I looked up, uh, MK Dons, man, there's a team. I almost feel... There's a story for you. Okay, Russ, this is how I feel about MK Dons. And, and I know I'm being difficult here. And maybe I'm just rebelling against... You know, I, I have lots of English friends in the game. I, I, I like them very much, most of them. They're good people. I, I understand that they very much value the history and the legacy of, of clubs in England. But I almost want to root for MK Dons to spite them. <laughs> Is that wrong? Is that wrong of me? Okay, I see. I, I, I definitely know where you're going on that, Jason. I definitely, I definitely understand where you're going on it because they are... They're doing something different, obviously. So I, no, I get I, where look, you're going it, on that. It's clearly, and I look. I hate. I hate relocation in any sport. I hate it when it right. happens in American sports. Uh, you know, when the when the Browns left uh, Cleveland, that was that was a travesty. Um, you know, we've obviously had it a couple times in MLS over the the history. Well, at least once. I guess it's only once, right? Uh, right. San Jose moving to Houston. That the, these things are travesties every time they happen. They shouldn't happen, and that that does make me dislike mk dons on some level but eventually you got to get over it maybe <laughs> and english football needs to get over it all right so so russ give me a sense um since you're the fulham guy let's let's focus in on them sure. a couple of questions one as you yep. said you think they might be a better team than brighton brighton's in first place fulham's in 13th 10 points back um but i think for a lot of americans the question is what's going on with emerson hyman uh it listen it's a wonderful question jason and uh it's a it's a difficult situation because I actually think that Emerson Hyman potentially could be in the mix for the next World Cup, be be your central midfielder. I, I think he has that potential. Will he reach that? I don't know, but he has that potential. The issue with Emerson Hyman has to do with the fact that he won't sign a new deal. And I unfortunately, he's being frozen out of the club. And, it, and it, it's a situation that we talked about a great deal on my show. What do you do with a player who doesn't want to be there? And uh, he's on the last year of his deal, and uh, 
he's not being allowed to play. And you can look at it two ways as a fan of, uh, of the U.S. men's national team. Obviously, I want him to play. I want him to thrive at Fulham. But here's the issue for Fulham. Do you, do you play a player who doesn't want to be part of your future? So, so it's a very difficult situation for him. Yeah. I personally, I want him to stay at Fulham, but he doesn't want to stay there. So he wants to move on. It's, it, it's not a good situation, Jason. Okay, uh, chances he leaves in January. Percentage chance. Um, I, you know, I would probably say maybe 40, 60, you okay. know, again, I, I, I believe it or not, I think Fulham still want to try to f- figure out a way to, to get him to stay in, but they're going to give him the opportunity to, to shop his services around. I, okay. I, I've, I've yeah. heard that he's going to have the ability to go out on trial with teams. So, so, uh, you know, I think there's a decent chance that he leaves in January. Okay. And finally, um, the question is, what are the chances Fulham gets promoted this season? If they change the manager, I would probably put it at 50-50. If okay. they don't, they're going to be mid-table. Okay. They, they got some work to do 10 games into the season. Russ Goldman, Cottage Talk, Fulham fan, excellent podcast. Appreciate the call, Russ. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. All right. There goes Russ. That's good stuff from him. We've got uh, somebody else on the line. Who's this? 312. You're on the air. Hey, Jason. This is Andrew. I'm calling, I guess, kind of on a few uh, change of topics, but... Uh, yeah, I was just curious. I mean, there's been, at least I'm a big uh, Premier League fan. I've been watching it on the weekend, and there's been a rash. I'm sure this happens throughout the season of uh, offside goals that were allowed. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious. I mean, we often hear that, okay, technology's going to slow down the game. Sure. Um, but, I mean, I think the game is already slowed down. Like, I mean, so if you took a stopwatch and you were measuring the time, I, I, my guess is the actual game time of play is under 70 minutes in a normal game. Okay. Is that, is that, am, I, am I completely wrong? Uh, or you know, I've seen, I, I, I saw a stat yeah. recently. <laughs> I, saw, I saw the game, uh, game play time stat uh, something. I don't know when that study was done. Uh, but I, I think you're probably right. I think it's probably in the 70s somewhere. Okay. Cause, well, I guess my, my point is, I think uh, we as fans should be against this idea that time wasting is just part of the game, and we should uh, actively promote rest or people doing things to prevent that. Not just not just this this absolute punishment of yellow cards and that kind of thing. I think that that can be kind of crazy because I mean it's so absolute um, in terms of either if it, you can't give someone a second yellow for time wasting, really. Right. Um, but yep. yeah, I just I just wish there would be just maybe more added time at the end or some other way to mitigate this because it just seems like uh, we're kind of getting jipped uh, in terms of the amount of game time we see. Mm-hmm. But then also, if you were more more uh, careful about managing it, we could actually add things like, oh, after every goal, we just spend a uh, four-second time to check technology for us if it was offside. And if it was offside, yeah. then we call it back. Well, like look, there, there is the advocates for instant replay or for the use of replay, the use of video technology to make decisions like offside and the like. The, those people will say there's already some breaks built in, as you're saying. The, the, the time from the ball going into the net towards the, to the ball getting put back on the center spot to, t- to kick off is enough to review something depending on the system that you're using. Now, part of, part of my issue here is I think that I, 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 while I will bemoan a bad refereeing, refereeing decision as much as anybody, particularly when it affects my team, 
in a big picture standpoint, I I think that the that the drama and the intrigue that comes from those things adds to the sport. I really do. I mean, I I can't watch baseball anymore. Now that's partly because I've devoted my life to soccer, but I was among the most rabid baseball fans you're probably ever likely to find 10 years ago. And part of the reason I've lost my passion for that sport is because of the technology involved. Now, maybe that just makes me an old guy. Get off my lawn, Andrew. But, you know, last night I'm watching or the other night I'm watching the, the Fox broadcast of the Astros and the Yankees and the or ESPN, excuse me. And they've got the they've got the strike zone superimposed over live play. And I'm like, OK, I guess. But I, I don't think yeah. it's I don't think it's wrong for me to want to be able to decide if it's a strike or not. If I want to get up in arms about a call, even if I'm wrong, that's part of my experience, right? If 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 I think a call, if you know, obviously the angle of the camera is something you you don't consider when you're watching a baseball game and all this stuff, and clearly, an an accurate depiction of where the ball is crossing the plate is a benefit to an umpire. But is it a benefit to me as a viewer? Yeah. Is, is, is instant... We're talking apples and oranges here. No, well, okay, I know, I know, but strike broadcasting decisions in the in but the, the grand soccer s- game. You're talking big money chances. No, I realize you guys that. literally live and die by these goals, and we. <laughs> I mean, it's and then there's not that many goals in this in this in No, I, I know, honestly, I know the, so, the number of events, the number know. of events that require this sort of process would be fairly small. I guess, I guess. I mean, again, I just. You open up the can of worms, Andrew, and I, I, I want to say, how about this? I need to see it in action, and I would need to be comfortable with the way that it's uh, it's applied. You know, uh, again, it can't interrupt the flow of the well, game, and it, it needs okay, to be. Let me give you an example right. of, of how we've already seen some of it in action. The, the spray for the Lions on a free kick. I mean, that that is the delay of the game. That's the delay of the game. It, it's just it's straightforward. It is. And I think that's been one of the most successful things out there. It's very simple because yeah. I, I think I think just the game is completely on the wrong side, and these slippery slope arguments about oh, we adding little things or being careful about it, they just all automatically assume okay, it's going to become just a complete uh, commercial break every two minutes. Well, that's right? again that that's only part that's only part of that. my concern. That's only part of my concern. My mine is a more philosophical concern, Andrew. And, and I know that there's an obvious argument against me. It's we want to get it right. We have to get it right, as you said. There's millions of dollars in play for a lot of these teams. If you have a, uh, you know, if you're if you're cha- if you're in the championship playoffs and a call is missed, that's the difference between going up and, and staying down. I, I get that, and, and getting it right matters. But if I'm talking about the human drama, if I'm talking about the human drama that is sports, if I'm talking about the the story, if I'm talking about the the you know. For me, what draws me to sports is the unpredictable nature and the debate and the the passion and the, uh, you know, I, I want to have the right to get upset. And Yeah, if, but I just don't buy this decision. I don't buy this dichotomy you're drawing where there's either a bunch of bad choices and that leads to drama or there's just the correct decision in informed. I don't buy that. Okay. I just think that right. there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's still going to be a lot of subjective decisions. But there's very many objective, obvious decisions that we don't need to have this kind of thing to have drama about. All right. All right. I, mean, Fair I still enough. think there's Fair drama enough. in a lot of games that, yeah. that don't have this much uh, subjectivity in them. Okay. All right. I mean, I was, uh, it, would certainly, <laughs> it, it would certainly help MLS referees not have the worst reputation in the world. I, or maybe they still would, but at least to be able to get those calls right on the back end. I appreciate Well, I think they're one of the biggest, the biggest uh, 
yeah, people that are suffering because of this is because they get so much crap about it. Yeah. But yeah. We just won't give them the power to do the right thing, and then we complain yeah. when they don't do it. No, no, so there's, there's, like, cl- look, look, there's clearly um, a, a sort of a refereeing crisis around the world when it comes to, simply, simply put, at the higher levels, professional levels, at, you know, you could go down three divisions in most countries, and the game is still moving too fast for one center referee. It just is. Oh, yeah. um, it, and, it, just seems, and, it seems almost crazy that we've just allowed right. allowed this to go on this long. Yeah. I mean, at least to me. I you mean, you, you look. You, you need but. to address it, Andrew. You're right that it needs to be addressed. And I suppose if the technology is available, it would be irresponsible not to at least explore that option. I appreciate the call, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks. There yep. goes Andrew. Good stuff. All right. So we're arguing about uh, instant replay and technology on Soccer Morning. I like this. Last call of the day. Nine one seven. You're on the air. Hey, Jason. It's Bill from Rockland. What's going on, Bill? Where's Trevor? He's <laughs> so, so I was saying that Trevor's internet is out this morning. This is something that can only happen to Trevor Hayward. And I imagine he might even cut this out of the podcast version of the show when it gets posted. Uh, his internet was knocked out by construction workers around his apartment building this morning. That's what I was told. <laughs> well, listen, I love the conversation we're just having about instant replay and stuff like that. Into tweaking the sport, I think we really should tweak the sport. I'm like one of those guys. That, I remember you had a guy talking about Americanizing the sport, and I'm into all these little tweaks. Not big, but I'm into changing some little things. Uh-huh. But uh, right, what I wanted to talk about was yesterday with Ray from Milwaukee calling up, and I was screaming in my call when I heard this. When Ray said that Mexico playing in the United States isn't home field advantage from Mexico, he says it's not that much of a home field advantage because it's in the United States. I swear, Ray has never been to a U.S. Mexico game in New York or in L.A. Uh-huh. because it's a hundred percent a Mexico fan base in those stadiums. Sure. Well, I mean, maybe I mean, it's maybe it's semantics about what you de- what you decide what what makes for home field advantage. Bill, is it is it the crowd? I mean, that's what I would I would agree with you that the, that it's the crowd and the makeup of the crowd that ultimately decides home field advantage. Uh, you know, I don't care where you're playing if the crowd is against you. You've basically you don't have home field. I don't care if the oh this is my locker and I'm used to this. And of course that doesn't apply for international soccer. These guys move around different stadiums all the time. But if you have a crowd that is coming that's throwing hatred down on you, hopefully nothing else, then then that's not home field. Yeah, and then like I know he's his bias or whatever. He wants more like Latinos. He wants to play more in the Latino countries and everything like that. And we would definitely play there if they could make money. If yeah. we were making as much money in Costa Rica, we would play there tomorrow. Okay. It's all about money. No, of course it and is. And to think anything differently is crazy. No, money I, is the number one driver of this whole thing. I think, I think he recognizes that. And I certainly, I mean, we, we obviously all recognize that the reason the Gold Cup happens in the United States every two years is because it makes the most money it possibly can in the United States, but that doesn't necessarily mean, in terms of of the fairness, that it shouldn't. We shouldn't explore the opportunity to take it to a Central American country or, or to Me- have it in Mexico. I mean, I know it's less money in Mexico. That's why the Mexican team plays here all the time in friendlies. I, I just read, uh, I just read a story at the Guardian about uh, you know about the the un, uh, the backdrop of uh, the immigration debate and everything that goes into the USA Mexico rivalry. And one of the things they said is they played uh, they've played in the United States eleven times this year. Eleven. It's a lot. Of, a lot of money for them. Yeah, and, and I, I, so I get what I, I get that. I mean, we're sitting here today with FIFA crumbling, bladder suspended, platini suspended, 
people being arrested, all of these figures involved in the governance of the game, the selling of TV rights, placing games where they are, having been taken down by investigations. Um, and if if we want to get away from that, and, and look, if we want to get away from that, Bill, we have to consider, well, you know what? Screw the money. Let's do the right thing. Oh, and I would love that. We would all love that, I think. But money just rules too much. It's yeah. too much, too much yeah. whatever it's going for. Can I just throw one more thing out before I hang up? Do that. You talk, and I'm sure maybe you talked about this already today. They changed the time from 830 to 930 for a Saturday game, right? Uh, I thought it was always 930. Was it? All right, maybe I was just wrong with that. But you were talking about how it conflicts with like all these football games, college football games. Yeah. The Mets are playing the Dodgers at 9 o'clock. <laughs> That's the not good. The biggest city in this country. <laughs> That's bad. It's going to have a bigger conflict. That's bad. Well, but see, oh, I mean, I guess that schedule was out, what, probably, I mean, that schedule was out, what, like a couple weeks ago? Well, not even that. Maybe like, two, what, what, a week ago that they knew that schedule? Uh, that it would be. I'm not even sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the, the, the baseball season just ended. You, you got the wild cards done. I mean, I know the Mets and the Dodgers won their division, so they didn't have to play in those wild card games, but that uh, that clearly has. I mean, there's nothing you could do. I mean, that's the problem, Bill, right? There's nothing you can do about the fact that soccer yeah. soccer is going to be going up. I mean, it's going to be going up against college football. It's going to be going up against postseason baseball. And, you know, just hope for the best. I mean, I, I think I think it'll well, be fine. I think it'll be fine. Yeah, and I guess so, too. But I know you're talking about all these other sports. I'm like, holy cow. Yeah. There's like the yeah. baseball playoffs going up. It's exactly it starts at 9.05. I get the Met-LA game. Yeah. You want a, you want a secret about me, Bill? That's not a secret. I just don't, I just don't talk about it. Up until the age of about twenty years old, I was a Mets fan. Yeah, that happened. Don't ask me how. <laughs> it just did. I grew up in the days of Hojo and Kevin. Uh, Kevin, um, uh, what's his name? The left fielder, Kevin McReynolds, and uh, Mackie Sasser and Tim Tuffle and Keith Hernandez. Yeah, oh, it was a whole thing. Well, my my secret up to about fifteen years ago, I was a. Big baseball fan, but now it's soccer being all over the place. I have no time. To no, play. I'm with you. I just I was just talking about great. that. I was just talking about that. I'm watching baseball the last couple of days. It's the first time I've watched it all year because because it was on and there was no soccer. And I, I'm like, that's the first time I've checked. And I used to live and breathe that damn sport. But you know what? Soccer takes over. It just it does that. Uh, Bill, I appreciate that. Uh, appreciate the call, man. I'm gonna gotta run. Get out of going. Thanks. Thanks. Appreciate it. I go, Bill Rockland. Let's go. All right. Uh, let me close out here uh, with a statement. From the IOC president, Thomas Bach. Enough is enough. We hope that now, finally, everyone at FIFA has at last understood that they cannot continue to remain passive. They must act swiftly to regain credibility because you cannot forever disassociate the credibility of FIFA from the credibility of football. FIFA must realize that this is now more uh, about more than just a list of candidates. This is also a structural problem and will not be solved by sim- solved simply by the election of a new president. They must do two things immediately. They must accelerate and deepen the reform process in order to comply with the with accountability, transparency, and all of the principles of good governance as expressed in our reform program, Olympic Agenda 2020. They should also be open for a credible external presidential candidate of high, high integrity to accomplish the necessary reforms and bring back stability and credibility to FIFA. Now, uh, what the IOC president can, uh, what kind of pressure he can bring on FIFA, eh, questionable. Yeah, somebody on Twitter suggested, and I apologize for missing out. Uh, well, or what, Thomas Bach? You're going to take FIFA or take soccer out of the Olympic program? FIFA will be fine with that. I don't think the IOC has 
uh, has anything they can hold over FIFA's head. But it is good to see a figure like IOC President Thomas Bach making a statement to that effect. All right, let me wrap this up. It's been excellent. Thank you very much to everybody who called in and helped fill up this show. Again, not doing it live. It's always uh, an interesting experience. We've had some wide-ranging discussions here. We've hit on all of the big news stories. This will be podcasted later. And, uh, yeah, make sure you check out, by the way, Saturday night, 9.30 p.m. Eastern, as we were talking about USA-Mexico. Myself, Jared Dubois, we will not be watching baseball. We will be watching the United States take on Mexico, and we'll be talking about it on Ravel.tv. So partake in that. Listen, at least for a little while. Give us a thumbs up or a upvote or whatever it's called and uh, spread the word let everybody know if you can't be there it's the next best thing all right see you tomorrow bye did my invitations disappear what i put my heart on every cursive letter tell me why the hell